How did we become Central Ohio's most trusted team of orthopedic experts? We focus on what matters most, our patients. At Orthopedic One, we know we're only at our best when we're helping you get better. And every day, your commitment to overcoming pain and injury inspires and moves us. That's why we bring our best every day to earn your trust. Find a physician near you at orthopedicone.com. The following program is intended for immature audiences only. Don't think, just listen. Coast to coast, border to border, and around the world, you're going online with Bill Alexander. Good evening, everybody. Yours truly, William Eric Alexander. All my friends call me Bill, and you're online with Bill Alexander here on WMCK.FM and also on Fayette TV Channel 77 as we broadcast from the Phil Giannetti Studios high atop High Street in Brownsville, Pennsylvania. Well, on the phone tonight, we have an individual that I heard his name for years from a college roommate when we were in college together because my roommate was working at this station in his summer months and he kept telling me about WDAD, Indiana County's finest. Never heard of it before. <laughs> I grew up in Butler County. I never heard of it before. But he kept talking to me about this news director by the name of Shauncey Ross. The name stuck with me. We became friends on Facebook. And on the phone line right now, we have Chauncey Ross. Chauncey, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing all right, Bill. Glad to glad to be along with you. So right What's this now, red light here. <laughs> Actually, mine's not going to stay on. Mine's a blue light, but okay, a red light okay. works. <laughs> so you're right now. You're with the Indiana Gazette, correct? Yes, sir. And, yes, uh, Indiana's leading newspaper, only newspaper here for the last uh, 161 years. Or 168 years. Not me. I've I've been here 19 years. Okay. But uh, this is the establishment. And prior to that, you were with WDAD Radio. Right, WDAD AM, and uh, the sister station. Although I, I think that phrase is one they didn't like to use a lot. Uh, their FM counterpart, WQMU. Um, at that time, owned by by Dick Sherry. Dick Sherry was the uh, general manager and owner of the place. Uh, oh, in fact, it was it was owned by um, fellow from Clearfield. Oh, and darn it, the name escapes me. The Clearfield owner sold it to uh, to Dick Sherry in 1989. It was just a couple of years after I started. So for better than a decade, Dick Sherry was the in person owner and operator of uh, of the of the facility. I never understood why the FM didn't just take the WDAD call letters because those just seem so iconic compared to uh, to the other ones. The WMOM was suggested a lot, too. Oh, that would have been good. Yeah. Mom and Dad Radio. (laughs) Yeah. But the QMU, it it stood for quality music back when when call letters were supposed to signify something. And they were a 103.1 when I started. Uh, 103.1 was given to another licensee in, I think, Dubois, and the station was forced to relocate on the dial. That was no fun. Uh, they they were forced to move to ninety two point five. Okay. Uh, the, the the new one hundred and three up north had to pay for the new 
pay for the new transmitter tube that put us on a different frequency, but that's the only compensation we got. And it was a it was not a difficult battle to rebuild the audience. Uh, it's a good uh, contemporary uh, contemporary program that I still listen to even. But WQMU is there uh, along with the, the DAD. So what got you started? Oh, there's more to it, too. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Finish. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. There's, there's, well, there's more to it. Um, back when I first came to Indiana County, there were four four licenses, both uh, two of them owned by uh, by Dick Sherry, the AM and the FM license okay. to Indiana. There's the WCCS license to Homer City. At that time, it was Ray Mark Broadcasting, partners Ray Goss and Mark Harley. Ray and Mark uh, ran Ray Mark and had uh, 1160. And they were, other than KDKA, the only radio station that I ever knew that experimented in AM stereo broadcast oh, really? uh, for a time. Yes, they did stereo 1160 for a while. Um, and and probably and four that, or five people knew they were in stereo too. I had a car that had an AM stereo radio. It was a Chrysler, it was wasn't it? It was a Chrysler it, product. Yes, it was. my dad had a, a Dodge Caravan, and it had it in there. And I'm going, oh, this is really cool. And I'm listening to Katie K and stereo, and I'm going, doesn't really make a difference. The programming still sounds the same. It's it's weird. It's, it's <laughs> weirdly it was. AM, yeah, stereo on AM is silk stockings on a pig. Exactly. Uh, we're talking sound quality. Yeah. Sound quality. But the content is all, the, all what counts. Uh, Indiana County's fourth license at that time was held in Blairsville by WLCY, and I don't really remember who the owner was, but the long story shortened since then is that Tony Renda now owns all four of the radio stations. Oh, I didn't realize that. In Indiana County. Yes. It's uh, Tony picked up Blairsville and, uh, and Homer City first. And then kept uh, kept badgering and dickering, and finally made his way through and uh, bought the product from from Dick Sherry in Indiana in the early two thousands. Uh, so he brought all four licenses together, put them all under one roof in downtown Indiana, merging them from three different uh, physical facilities. Uh, the sticks are all still all over the place, but uh, they have a nice broadcast, a uh, nice fishbowl on the corner of Ninth and Philadelphia Street. If you're ever in town, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to make my way up there because I did not realize that he bought the uh, Blairsville station. For a while, I thought the Blairsville station went off the air. One of six point three is called Cat Country now. Okay. And I, I think it's still WLCY. Okay. Honestly, uh, I, I, you never, you hear that maybe at the probably top of the hour or nothing more. Right. Uh, but yeah, Cat Country is a good brand, uh, and they have a, a good steady following in the in the in the county as well. So, what got you started in the whole field of journalism and communications? Um, wanted to get my high school basketball team some more recognition in the high school newspaper. That's where it started in 1972. I signed up for the high school paper. I was uh, I was a student manager up for the basketball team, and we were having some pretty good years. And I said, "Wow, let's let's see if I can you know try my hand at writing stories about the basketball team for our paper." It's called the Keynote at Keystone Oaks High School in Pittsburgh, South Hills. Uh, so I worked with that for about three years and decided to go to college for journalism. Uh, journalism and communication was the combined major that they offered at Point Park College. Um, so Point Park and Duquesne both accepted me. Point Park had the better uh, financial package, so that's okay. where we went instead of the bluff. Um, and Point Park, just the, the, the connections out of there are, are numerous and, and almost countless and 
invaluable, let's put it that way. So we spent four years there, uh, in first enrolling in all the print media courses that I was intending to take and then getting a taste of all the other offerings in the JNC program, including the, the radio, the television, advertising, PR, the, the whole spectrum of what they call journalism and communications now. Now, the taste of radio uh, that was that was a lure that was then a lure that uh, who 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 can overcome that bill that, well, right, that's true. The campus radio station <laughs> and the rest is history so what got you from Keystone Oaks or Pittsburgh to Indiana that was a little circuitous too uh, my first uh first gig in college uh, between my junior and senior years was with a little a little 60,000 watt FM station called uh, WFFM. Uh, they were WLOA for two months when I first uh, started there, and they were a brand new uh, first uh, adult contemporary type of station, easy listening for adults. I mean, Bob Dearborn called it uh, elevator music for grown-ups uh, <laughs> or for young adults, but it was soft rock, basically okay. soft rock. And they changed from WLOA to WFFM in 1977, and I was with the the, uh, the station there for about two years. Uh, Dave Popovich was the first PD that hired me. Dave is in Cleveland now. Um, from there, I went to one of the other uh, county seat uh, 1450 frequencies in western Pennsylvania, WJPA in Washington. Yes. How many 1450s have you worked for? Uh, that one right there. <laughs> there's there's 1450s throughout the region. I don't know if you've ever noticed. I, I did not. Uh, I worked at uh, w, WJPA AM and FM in the uh, early 2000s. Who was the owner at that time? Oh, you're asking me to go back. Um, oh, his name just slipped I, me. Well, I can go back to 1980. It was Mike Siegel. Mike Mike Siegel. Still, you know what? Mike still owns it. Okay. Mike still owns it. Uh, the program director is who hired me uh, by the name of Pete Povich. Um, and I got hired away from another station because the general manager at the station I was working at um, knew that I wanted to uh, move up in the company. And he sent my resume and air check tape to WJPA and said, hey, I got this guy that would really love to work for you. And he got me hired by somebody else. Oh, Nice. Yeah, well, we're 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 real good friends now, so <laughs> it worked out. But it's a nice experience. Uh, JPA, and at that time, their the sister was WYTK FM. Right, the they had broken away to do uh, to do an album rock format, and that's mm -hmm. what what I was hired there to do. After a little bit at the at the AM, uh, that was in the days of Bob Gregg. Bob Gregg was the uh, AMPD, and Bob and just retired about three years ago. I, I remember reading about that. Bob made a made himself a legend there. Uh, oh, also worked with a legend, the man, the myth, the legend, Jim Jefferson. Oh, Jim, I, I think Jim just the retired Jeff. also. Yeah, the Jeff was there at uh, doing the doing the uh, the J. He was Mister Washington. Yeah. Oh, there's yeah. No, there's no other way about it. Um, yeah, but Jim was the uh, icon in the market in the newsroom. Um, we worked there for, uh, I guess, about a year or so, uh, and then was invited to uh, take part in opening of uh, an ambitious, ambitious is the best I can tell you, uh, for an AM daytimer in Monroeville on 1510. It was uh, probably better known in, pre in its previous incarnation 
uh, as W. Oh my gosh, I can't remember now. Charlie Apple was, I think, the the key figure there. Okay. Uh, WPSL. There, WPSL was the days. Uh, but this reincarnated as WRUA uh, around 1980, 81 ish. Spent some time there. And Clark Ingram, uh, one of the Point Park College WJ, uh, WPPJ connections, uh, brought me on board in one of the, uh, as a, one of the starting staff at a brand new, a new license. I mean, not a transfer, but a brand new frequency that went on the air in Cambria County in Crescent, WR, it was WRKE at the start, uh, and then turned to WBXQ, but known from the very start as Q94FM. And that changed the face of broadcasting in the Johnstown Altoona market. Okay. Because uh, Clark has actually been on this program many a times, and uh, we've talked about that. But the funny thing is, he never mentioned his time in Cambria. Um, I, well, Clark doesn't have to. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, I guess. You're right. Uh, it's it's uh, Clark's resume is, is uh, um, uh, speaks for itself, and then being a consultant uh for uh for an a uh, for a, uh a 3000 watt fm um chr in the johnstown altoona market actually halfway between the two uh and on the top of a mountain ridge is is just wasn't it didn't have to be a priority on clark's resume right it did not have to be but uh he had the credentials to to put together a dynamite station one of the best that i've worked for so, uh, total, how many stations have you worked for? Um, let's see. After that, let's see if you kept track there. There was the college, if you count that. Right. And the, the, uh, the FM 97 gig with Dave Popovich. Uh, and, and, and a good cast there, too. George Hart. Do you remember George Hart? George Hart was doing middays there for a time when I was there. Uh, one of my favorite people. God bless him. Um, okay, so there's that. Then the Washington PA. Then the Monroeville PA. Right. Then the Crescent. Then to Johnstown, um, to the stations that are on 1490 and 95, 96.5 at that time. Their call letters and owners have changed probably two or three times since then. The, it's part of the, now it's Key 96 or 96 Key, uh, the FM station. And the AM, is, I'm, I'm not sure if they're relevant at all anymore. But uh, then the call came. The call came from a fellow named Ken Rich. Ken Rich was the uh, main, one of the main news guys in Indiana County at WDAD in 1986. And Ken was getting out of radio. He was taking a job at PennDOT. He was going to be their community relations guy, their, their media spokesperson at the okay. PennDOT office in Indiana County. And it represented a four-county region. So it really was a, a significant move out for him. And, of course, as uh, you, you've probably experienced, I don't think it's any news to anybody that any of the news guys and any of the, any of the Studio Bs throughout the region are all, have, all have some sort of connection with one another in terms of at least phoning and trading off news stories. And through that particular network, Ken phoned around and offered up his position, and, and I was one of the guys that he called. So he came to Indiana in October 1986, uh, interviewed once, uh, I called in for a second one. They asked me to cut a demo tape in the production studio. Uh, threw me in the studio with the, the the tape wasn't patched through right. The patch bay was foobard. 
So I had to fix all that myself, and they said, okay, I guess you'll work. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, yeah, I had to uh, engineer my own demo tape uh, at WDAD and started there in November of 86. So what I, what I think is interesting, and just listening to you talk about it, and uh, the generation that's coming through now that wants to work in broadcasting and work in radio will never experience what you experienced because you start and you started and worked your way up from a small identity and then just kept moving and you were able to make a career of it. Unfortunately, these I, kids that are graduating now, they're never going to get that opportunity there. It's going to be a part-time work for them for the most part. No, I, I, I'm, it's, it, it's a mystery to me exactly what, what lies ahead for, for kids in it these days. There are a lot, I think you hear or see that, are looking to be the next big thing right, right out of the, right out of the box, and paying the paying your dues isn't isn't really a phrase that's around anymore. Where you do your time at uh, uh, and and I think I think starting at a sixty thousand watt FM station that that had a share in the Pittsburgh market was an aberration for right. most anybody, especially me. But you, if, when you spend your time with daytimers. And and stations that turn their power down at night, and just, and maybe your parents at home can or cannot hear you. Uh, that type of a startup isn't really one that uh, is is attractive to a lot of kids these days. I suppose um, people are eager to have it big. I guess right right out the door. They they don't know how to work their dues because I can. I mean, a lot of the things you're you're saying. I can relate the same way because of how I started and I started yeah. in the uh in the mid 80s and I got at the right. end the end of that of what local regional radio was and in the in the 2000s when these larger groups came to buy them up like Key Market and and groups like this um and even Renda if you want to consider him one buying these station up and and combining them together and they were voice tracking most of them you never had that opportunity having a local person in a room, let alone having a news director producing news, because most of it was rip and read. I hate to say, there is yeah, there's there's still a, a lot of that around. I got to give credit though to the Renda operation in Indiana. There is a, there's a local initiative. There really is a, a person who goes out, covers meetings, uh, attends local events and functions and writes and broadcasts local stories. I don't know how prevalent that is anymore, but I tell you, it's a it's a ghost of what it used to be yeah. in this market, where you had uh, for for decades uh, at WDAD uh, a guy named Bernie Smith. Uh, does that uh, ring the legend bell with you? Yes, Bernie Smith was a legend in Indiana County at WDAD, and transferred over to the Homer City radio station. Uh, for I don't know whatever possessed the management at WDAD to let him go, but he did. He went down to Homer City and developed uh, and propelled them into relevance in Indiana County. So you had a two-station competitive market uh, as far as news forces go. Uh, Ken Rich and the staff of two other three they had three full-time people there when I started. They had three full-timers, full-time news people. Yeah. Um, so when I joined that crew there, we were up against Bernie Smith, the legend, and Buttonheads with him was uh, uh, 
exhilarating. It was a challenge. It was a learning experience. It was a, a brand new market. And, you know, I, I would be lying if I didn't say that I listened to Bernie Smith and what he did on the news on the uh, down the street on a daily basis to see what made him tick and what made what made the market follow him. And really, uh, when you know what the, what works with the market and adapt it and make it make your own, then then I think you've succeeded in you know, getting into the market. What I think what what you said is very interesting to me because I agree with you on that. Is that and I've heard GMs and I've heard program directors and everything else say that if you're going to listen to radio station, you have to listen to ours. And I said, no, I have to listen to everybody else because I have to hear what they're doing. Because if oh, they're sure. doing yeah. something better than we are, we better figure out what it is and try to fix it. And that exactly. and that's the it's, whole thing. No, you're not. You don't exist in a bubble. Uh, the reader, the readers, uh, and the listeners, uh, the listeners aren't out of a bubble either. They're button pushers. And uh, Indiana County was notorious for it, I think, as well, where people would press the button. And I would see people in the evenings after the day is done, and they'd compare my work with what they heard on the other station. Right. And people religiously listened to both, compared notes, and decided you know, whether they got the full story. And I think they did. And I think they do it now. They did then more than they do now. What you've lost with the combinations of stations in this market and in any other that you look at is um, where there used to be two news reporters out covering a county commissioner's meeting and going back and writing their stories they're competing to who to see who does the better story who does right. the better service for the for the for the listener for who's listener. competing for it um there's one now there's uh you've got one reporter one story you've got a, you've got a choice of one and uh i'm not not saying anything at all about the that's not to say anything of what what is offered but uh usually a choice Usually, competition is going to drive uh, drive a, uh, a more conscientious and uh, competitive product uh, to the to the consumer, right. to the readers, and the listeners. Because I, I I tell stories because um, I teach now and I teach high school students, and I tell them about the days that I would actually go and cover a school board meeting, and they would look at me and think I was crazy. And going, yes, you covered the meeting for the radio. You went back, you wrote it up, and you had it sitting on whoever's desk was going to read in the morning, or you were able to do actualities and you shared them with them. And they look at me exactly. and say, why would anybody be interested in a school board meeting? I said, because that was local news. Unfortunately, we don't have that type of news anymore. We have everything has become, and, and again, if you don't agree with that's fine, but we've seems like we've sensationalized everything just to get people to listen. There is that, yeah. It's, uh, and relying on like you said to uh the bird the satellite satellite yeah. delivered program is taking over a lot of the local product these days and uh it's probably your only local identity left is in some cases is what's going on in the newsroom or in studio a during morning drive time because the rest of the clock seems to be um seems to be prefab um there was an old phrase that was used I think by the FCC when it was first established, the criterion for awarding licenses was on a, on a licensee's ability to um, uh, serve uh, serving the public interest. I'm trying to remember exactly the way that that phrase once ran, but it was um, serving the public interest seems to have disappeared. It's probably 
serving the advertiser now. And 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 yes, <laughs> I agree with you totally on that. And I want to talk to you about uh, your work in print because we have been in my area, which is the only newspaper left in Fayette County, is the Herald Standard, which has mm-hmm. been bought by the Nuttings, who also just bought the Observer Reporter. And from what I read today, it looks like the Nuttings are trying to pull all their stuff out of search engines because they don't want anybody to know they're there. Or they don't want everybody to compare and contrast stories. Wow. And I uh, I, I read that, uh, and someone I actually trust wrote that. He's a, a former newspaper person, too. And I'm going, you got to be kidding me. That this is where this is where our media is going, and we're hearing stories that in the local paper, that they're more worried about advertising because if you break down the newspaper, it's seventy five percent advertising, thirty percent news stories. That's about it. Yeah, yeah. Someone, uh, yeah, someone assessed the the product that we put out here uh, is um, it's a paper with a whole bunch of advertisements, and then oh, and some stories to fill in the holes. And then that's probably what it what it's like with uh, it's probably a valid assessment of most print products these days. So, do you when did you start seeing this change in in print journalism? Um, you know, I, I it's it's been a function. Oh, oh, well, the internet, the internet. I think undoubtedly the internet has changed everything. It's changed the game for for broadcast. It's changed the game for print. Uh, the internet has given. Uh, has given a voice to anybody with um, uh, a keyboard and fingers, and and that's sad. Yes, uh, I, I don't think there's any other way around that. Um, it's the the idea of having uh, the ability to uh, type something and have it read by multiple people is a, a kind of power that um, really has gone unchecked. Um, if you spend any time online, and I'm sure you do, uh, you, you know the difference between. And it's, it's. I think it's shaped. It shaped what people uh, look at and value and consider as uh, good enough for them. Uh, and if it's watching watching Twitter feeds or um, somebody's feed on Facebook uh, or anything at all from social media, uh, and, and deciding, yeah, this is okay. That's good enough for me. Uh, they're shortchanging themselves, um, I think, well, most of all. But it's it's just uh, it's distressing that that people have uh, have that unchecked power to generate whatever, basically whatever they want, uh, without a without a master to to check them and uh, give them you know uh, and give some credibility. Uh, the standing traditional news organizations are all that you really have and judge them as being biased or uh, leaning one way or another as you might and it probably is valid uh, but the, the ones that are the organizations that have um, that have writers uh, writers broadcasters uh, that have to answer to um, that have to answer to a, a that depend on it as a livelihood, that have something at stake, skin in the game, to make sure that they're producing a valid uh, and a credible product are the only ones that, that that are still trustworthy, I think. 
have I gone too far? No, no, actually, no, because I have more questions popping in my head when you talk that way. Um, one thing that frustrates me about the Internet, and it's not the Internet per se, it's the people that use the Internet. If they see something on Facebook or on Twitter, they always take that as fact, and they don't That's delve into it yes. more. Or they'll see a headline, or they'll see a thumbnail a photo, and then they'll see a, a headline underneath it and go, well, that's all I need to read. And yet the story could be something totally different or interpreted differently, but just because they see that and they may that may fall into their belief system, they go with it and run it. What I think is interesting is the stories that people share that they never read. It is. It's, it's kind of scary that way. Um, the Indiana Gazette runs a Facebook page. We post links to the stories that we publish uh, each day. Uh, we like to you know, emphasize the local product put up by our staff of writers here, where we're writing Indiana County news. Um, we think that's the bread and butter here. We're not competing with CNN. We're right. not competing with ABC. We're our paper. You'll find in our paper Associated Press stories about the world news and national news that. And that's fine. Um, but when we have the opportunity in the social media locally and to present our local product, that's what we're that's what we're putting out. And not to get off your sub, not to get off the thread, Bill. But it is yeah. On a daily basis, we'll look at the Facebook and we'll look at the feed and we'll look at the comments and responses uh, to the headlines and the brief capsule description of the story that's in that link that's on our Facebook page uh, post. And the comments are from people who clearly haven't clicked through to read the guts of the story, right? Get what's going on, uh, and it's uh, you, it, it's kind of I'm ashamed to <laughs> to see that some of these comments are from people that we count as our readers and subscribers, and and so forth. And then again, maybe they're not because if they're not clicking through, um, they, they may not be a subscriber or a reader. Uh, we'd like to think that our subscribers and readers uh, are the ones that we best serve and uh, have the best education about what's going on in our area because they you know, will click through or they will buy or, or put their 75 cents down and turn the pages and, and read what we really have. But the people who are willing to copy and paste uh, and just sit and look at, a, look at a status and react to it... Um, it yeah it 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 hurts it uh, it perpetuates him it perpetuates wrong impressions, uh, oftentimes perpetuates uh, false information. It's scary. It, it it's scary that people. Where, where can we go to make sure that people have a license to have a keyboard? Well, that that's a very good question. Um, you're listening to WMCK.FM and watching us on Fayette TV Channel 77, and we're also online at italknet.com, and we're broadcasting from the Phil Giannetti Studios high atop High Street in Brownsville, Pennsylvania. You make the comment about how can we get a license for these people. And early in my career, when I started doing talk radio and this has been oh 20 some years of doing talk in some way shape or form i always told my audience that i am i have an opinion just like they do i am not an expert i don't claim to be an expert i just claim to be someone that has some information that i want to share to an audience and don't ever ask me to change your opinion because i won't be able to do it i can give you information to change it but i can't change it personally 
And what I see is interesting now is because of Facebook and because of Twitter, everybody thinks that they're an expert on everything. Yes. And 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 they and they keep pushing these opinions over and over again, even though that the opinion, I mean, it's their opinion and don't get me wrong, everybody can have their one, but if it's not based in fact, how useful is that opinion? No, there's, there's a lack of moderation. There's a lack of, uh, like you and your talk show, like you and any other talk show host, Bill, if you're doing an effective job, you're, you're steering the people to stay on topic. You're steering the people to stay factual. Uh, you recognize opinion. Uh, you recognize where there's credibility. And you know where things need to stop when they have to. Um, but, but moderating, no, moderating is not there. There's no moderation on, on social media. It's uh, it's anarchy. It's uh, you know the, it's wild in the streets. When I started doing a, when I started doing a program online, which was two thousand six, it was basically the infancy of online programming. No one really did anything. There was a handful of us, especially in Western Pennsylvania. I was one of few that we were on, and people were flocking to us because it was new. Then within four or five years, the audience started to dwindle because there were more people hosting programs. But the bad thing is, and this is what I've said to Eric O'Brien, I've said to Clark Ingram, I've said to Chris Latch, I've said to all these people that have worked in the industry, these people have no training. They just sit there and talk. They have no journalism or communication background. And that's what frustrates me because I think I still put out a good product. But yet any Tom, Dick, and Harry that has 80 bucks can go buy an hour of airtime at a local AM station, and they get to do an hour talk show, and people think they're they're trustworthy because they're on the radio. It's, yeah, it's, it's, the medium is the, it, it generates that credibility by itself. Um, and it's, and yeah, and you, like you said, it, and it works across, uh, across the spectrum of media as well. Um, what the internet as a as a big uh, mystical force that came about in the mid and late nineties, right, uh, was so revered. It was oh my gosh, if you saw it on the internet, it had to be true. And there's some people who still buy that, <laughs> which is the old days. If you heard it on the radio oh. or saw on TV, it had to be true, because yes. we were the people that people trusted from TV mm-hmm. radio personalities to newspaper journalists. People trusted that name that was in the byline. Well, now anybody can write their own blog. It could be hateful. It could be spewing anger, whatever it may be. But if their name's in print, I'll be darned. It has to be true. And how do you educate a population to change that thinking? Because I don't believe the, I don't believe it's the older generation, the one older than I am. I don't think it's, my generation per se, it's the ones younger than us that have been spoon-fed information for the last 20 and 30 years that don't understand that, that what they're getting, they agree with, but they can't see any counterpoint to any of their topics or any of their opinions. No, the criti- critical thinking is, is it's at a premium. It really is. Uh, and you, yeah, you can tell by the, by the content that's out there. Uh, the critical the critical thinking is a key phrase that I always heard in graduation messages at the at IUP commencement each year. <laughs> We've raised this class of critical to be critical thinkers in our society, and oh yeah, okay, 
and 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 that that phrase really does resonate once you think about it. It's not hearing and repeating, but hearing and evaluating, right. hearing and and judging, and hearing and um, and questioning before you just parrot uh, what what looks real good to you. There's a whole uh, I think there's a whole presidential electorate that is of that mindset. Do you think, I mean, I guess it was the New York Times this week that said that they are no longer going to present or print editorial cartoons or political cartoons. Do you see That's this a defense mechanism? Do you That's see this shame. being the That's... downfall of, of the way we look at media today? Oh, it's a step backward. It's a shame. It's a, it's kind of a concession. Um, I, I look at that as that they're, they're probably uh, just tired of the blowback that that you that people get now. Uh, like you said, it's you know people have the have the liberty to write and say and uh, and without uh, without being vetted in what they publish on, on on the web or or in their you know paid broadcasts. And it's the same way uh, when they react when they react to mainstream media. Uh, people aren't thinking. Um, people aren't taking things for for what they're for for what editorials and what edit, editorial cartoons are meant to be, which is a thought trigger. It's I'm what what shocks me here, and I'll, I will say this is this is Indiana Gazette readers and our our people who comment on our content on okay. the Facebook and 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 on our there when we publish. Uh, sometimes during election season, publish uh, maybe candidate uh, endorsements, and that's probably the most blatant example of it. But occasionally, uh, we do have an editorial board that'll publish a viewpoint, and and sometimes even syndicated columnists that are uh, published in our paper make it online as well. And when the threads of comments come from people who are venomous because they view that as our as our expression of fact. Instead of our offering of an opinion to start uh, thought and debate, uh, and they turn it into hate and say, "Well, I'm going to cancel my subscription. How can you dare say that?" Well, that's the. I don't know where that started, Bill, but I think that's what you're identifying yeah. is that people are people are not willing to sit and and look at uh, and look at an opinion for what it is, uh, which is. Uh, an opportunity for you to converse and debate and exchange ideas and decide, well, maybe that's right, or maybe the other side will decide, well, maybe, you're, maybe you've got something. Um, but to, to view someone's opinion as their, uh, as their one-time expression of what they view as a fact and then hate them for it, or for it is disturbing. It is. It's very disturbing. I, and how uh, and, and and yeah, it's it's sad to see that the the population has gone that way, where people are not ready to be critical thinkers and uh, sit down and have uh, a, a civilized uh, dialogue and debate with you on on opinions. What I think is interesting is I was cleaning out some stuff out of my uh, basement the other day. My wife gave me the ultimatum that I had to actually get rid of some of my my stuff from my early days of radio. And I came across a couple tapes, and one was of a talk mm -hmm. program I did on WMBS. It was in 1998. I think it was October 20th. It was the overnight talk show. 
And at the end of the program, the last 10 minutes, um, a woman calls me and starts talking about, and I, it's hard to believe this has been 20, uh, what, 21 years ago, but the Mon- Monica Lewinsky situation with Bill Clinton. Sure. And I came on and made the comment. I said it was, I mean, should the man be punished? Whatever it is, that's fine. It should have never happened. I wasn't defending him. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't attacking him or anything. I'm just going on. The woman's coming back. We're having a discussion back and forth. There's no argument. It's actually very intelligent. The next call is a gentleman who said that we were sticking up. We were standing up and justifying adultery. Now, I listened to the recording, I listened to it a second time, and I then flash forward to 2016, and I'm going, this guy, I can guarantee, voted for the president that's in the White House now. Why in 20 years, it's okay for them to attack someone that has the the same problems, but yet approve and justify why the one that they voted for is okay? And I'm thinking we have gone so far from a a moral, and I don't like to use the word morals, but uh, uh, so far we've gone from a center left or center right. We've gone so far one way or the other that I don't see us ever coming back, because again, there's neighbors and f- neighbors and family members. No matter what side of the table you sit on, if someone disagrees with their politics, they're attacking them. Yes. And that's what frustrates me because there's no common ground anymore. I mean, I, I know people of all backgrounds and they think they know where I lean when it comes to certain situations, but I'm so wishy-washy that no one ends, has any idea where I'm standing, which is mm-hmm. probably a good thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like you can't have these discussions anymore without worrying about someone attacking you. And that's what frustrates me is because we've left that, and I don't want to say it was civil, but we left that period of time when people actually had discussions and conversations and stuff like this. When talk radio used to be enjoyable, now it's all political garble of people attacking each other. Right. I I used to call them, I used to refer to 20 percenters as uh, someone with an extreme view is that, that, uh, that one particular end of the spectrum whether they're the the twenty percent ultra right or the twenty percent ultra left, um, where they seem to be set in their ways and and not easily swayed, and not easily easily drawn toward the middle, and with a twenty percent on each end, that leaves uh, that was leaving a sixty percent in the middle right. of moderate and moderate and rational thinking people who will listen to both sides and sit and make uh, and make a reasonable decision or or, or a choice on on an issue. Um, I think that 20%, like you said, Bill, it's, I, that 20% probably has grown. That section in the middle seems to have, seems to be migrating away from uh, the center line. There's just not a lot of center thinking, I think, anymore, um, which you'd hope you'd have more of to be able to maintain civilization. Uh, People that are willing to, you know, and sit and and go on either side depending on how they've evaluated issues, and and again, it it goes back to it, your point is there that the the Times uh, no longer putting in editorial cartoons. Yeah, I, I guess the the twenty percent has grown so big on each side, and the um, the un 
the unthinking and unwilling to debate and negotiate uh, response from people has just pressed their uh, pushed them to the limit, and they've given up on that. Do you think and the that's, Do you think the advertisers are that afraid of people not buying their product that they're actually pressuring the news outlets to say, "Hey, either you change the way you're broadcasting, or change the way you're covering a story, or we're going to pull the advertising from you." That's happened. That's that's historic, Bill. I, I think you you probably have experienced that as well. When I was at WDAD, uh, the station brought on Rush Limbaugh, and a certain number of advertisers called their reps and said, uh, "We're quitting uh, because you've got Rush Limbaugh on." Right. Um, and that was and that was scary stuff. Um, what I don't know, and I and what I don't know, what I doubt then, and what I still probably harbor some doubt about now is whether it's valid. Do people really? Does the does boycotts of advertisers really make enough of a difference that uh, and that a company uh, can be driven to uh, shift its advertising dollars based on the median that it uses to advertise its products? I don't, I, on a national I don't, level, I don't think so. On a local and regional level, depending on how large the company is, maybe. Mm-hmm. Because the one thing that, that especially this last election, um, and I was in Pittsburgh today, I'm on my way home, and I actually see businesses putting candidate signs in their window, not in the yard, but in mm-hmm. the window. And it's like, if that's who they're promoting publicly... And if I don't agree with them personally, do I still shop there? But people now, their business owners, aren't afraid to say who they're politically backing. Before, it was something that they left unsaid. The customer usually knew, especially if it was in a small community, and no one said anything. Now it seems like, hey, we're proud of it. That's what we're going to do. That's, and it's amazing that they trust their market base to continue to support them. As uh, fractured as the market base is, uh, you, you tend to polarize your. Uh, I mean, if you're, if you're willing to polarize your your buy your market, your, your the people who buy your product, um, that's a big chance you, you, yeah. that you might want to. I mean, if you want to take that chance. It's, it's on you. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's very brave to be able to do that. But if you're the only one in the market that sells the product or does the service, you have nothing to lose, I guess. There's that. So, yeah, it, it, it's just very interesting to see how we've shifted so much just in the last mm-hmm. 20 years. And, right. And, and, I, and, yeah, I do blame the Internet for, for a good bit of it because we are promoting things that may not be true. The big story this week is Gene Wilder passed away. He passed away three years okay. ago, but someone sharing him, sharing the news story that he just passed away this weekend. Oh, got to copy and paste and post that. Oh, oh, and got to offer thoughts and prayers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's like this happened three years ago in 2016. Didn't you? Didn't you read the story then? But I guess our attention span is so short that if you forget about it and someone shows it to you again, you think it's new. It's a shame that, that, that and it can be viral that way uh that's the fake news exactly now how do you and i mean those of us that are that are older we're for some cases we're a lost cause the next generation coming up how do we teach them to actually be 
um, oh, discriminated readers and um, and cultivators of news. So they know what is true, what is non-biased, what is what is something that they can take away from if we have nothing to show them. That's the that's the hard part of it. Maybe it's it's probably their response to the product that's available to them, and I think that's probably where the people in the profession today uh, have uh, some responsibility to uh, at, at least be leaders and provide some guidance and set and chart the direction of where where we should go. Because I think we're all in flux uh, and have been since the internet came in and. Uh, became uh, an opportunity for some people to. Well, here's here's the problem, and I don't mean to digress, but I think we would all go back and probably have second thoughts about the guy in 1995 who thought it was a real good idea to publish the news for free. Yes. After they 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 create their product, they sell it to subscribers, or they uh, broadcast it with uh, uh, with well with well financed and advertised. Uh, sustaining power behind them but somebody decided to put a put up their newspaper or their broadcast outlet on the internet and post their news for people to read for free because Um, in their mind they thought we are being paid to do it in a print copy we might as well just give it away free because we're doing it anyhow little did they little did they know they were going to put themselves out of business because it devalued the yeah it devalued the product um, and and when it's when you pay the same price for uh, journalism that's produced and delivered online as the same uh, as what you would pay for somebody that is something that's delivered uh, by a tenth grader writing a blog in his parents' basement because he can't get a date. Um, <laughs> that's, um, um, that. That changes the playing field. It really does. I think what it's what it's up to. I think what the onus is on the organizations, the people who had the structure all along, to find a way to regain and restore the credibility that that they enjoyed while there was no internet. Uh, what made them the source? What made them the respected? Uh, source of information what made them what you know what made the Walter Cronkites uh, and the Edward R. Murrows what they were in their day uh, the opportunities for people like that may not exist anymore but the opportunities for organizations to build the credibility is it, it's it's hard because if the consumers are not going to sit and properly evaluate what you put out but I think it has to start there, because if the if suddenly if suddenly readers um, and listeners and consumers of internet information became discriminatory, suddenly what if they suddenly decided to compare and evaluate and say, oh, this is a crock, and oh, this is the real deal? If they suddenly started evaluating what they had, if they if the good product there, if the good product is not there, then. You know, then they're going to be left with uh, uh, an absence of a good choice. So the good choice has to be there for them to find. I think that's where that, that's where, it's what we have, Bill, but I think it's where we should not stop. It's not, we, it's what we should not give up on. 
uh, it's what we should not concede on. And when you concede that, um, you know, the, the strength of a, of a viewpoint uh, product like the Times and their editorial cartoons, uh, it's a sad testimony. But I think we have to maintain and go back and, and produce those thought-provoking products uh, and, and hope for the best that people will evaluate and come around to the uh, to being critical thinkers and see the way do you think we have time to get to that point again um if it's in my lifetime or your lifetime i'm not sure uh i i think there's probably a pendulum factor here um i'm gonna say that uh i think the 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 ways of thinking that we're that we've been seeing uh, progressing and and particularly manifesting in the Trump following uh, over the last few years is uh, something that just can't I, I I can't see it going and staying in the direction that it has. This the pendulum has to swing back to uh, that point in the middle, and uh, I don't think it's going to be exactly valuable if it. Uh, swing i i don't know what the other side of it would have to be but it's boy i'm you're asking me to make a definition for something that i haven't thought of yet but it's no it's it it i i can't see it staying this way i i hope it doesn't stay this way no no it's it's um if if the people are if people get tired of it if it gets uh if it proves unproductive and leads to some sort of uh, failing politically in, or, or in the structure of our government. That's, I'd hate to see that being the, the outcome of the way people are, are thinking and, and judging and making decisions on what they do without, you know, proper information at their hands. But, uh, it's, it's got to come back to, uh, a respect for information, a respect for facts, uh, a respect for critical thinking, a willingness to be uh, critical thinkers, a willingness to have a civilized debate instead of uh, I'm taking my ball and going home and, you know, screw you. Right. Uh, there's that, that there's got to be, uh, we've got to have a, res- I think we need a return to uh, civilization. Uh, it's it's hard to say that there's a lot of civil civil discourse uh, out there now, and uh, again, it's the the people with the broadcast licenses still in their hands, and the people with the printing presses and the ink that are still, you know, cranking out publication on a daily basis, that have to keep maintain respect for themselves and their product, and be proud of what they do on a daily basis, and make sure that it's that it contributes to to what we think is going to be. Uh, um, you know, a foundation for an educated and uh, manageable society. The only way I see it changing, um, and again, I believe in top-down, is that whenever people in D.C. actually start respecting the rest of us, because I think everybody's taking the cue from the president, because if he can get away with it, why can't I? And I think that's where a lot of this is coming from right now, especially from that that 20 or 30 percent of people that just say, uh, hell with it. I'm throwing everything to the wind. If he can get away with it, why can't I? 
And that that bothers me because we've lost that that center of what is right and what is wrong because there's now nothing but a gray area. And when you keep telling somebody that it's not true, it's not true, it's not true, eventually they're going to believe it. Even yeah. though you may have every fact in the world and I tell you that the sky is uh, the sky is blue and yet you argue with me that it's green, it's green, it's green, it's green, eventually I'm going to get tired of hearing you and going, okay, you're right. And that's what's going to yeah. happen. And I think that's where yeah. we're going right now. And unfortunately, as the saying goes, it'll only get it'll only get better when it gets worse. I'm just hoping that we're hitting the rock bottom right now, and we're going to be on our way out of it soon. Mm. Yeah, somewhere it's uh, there's got to be a decision that this is not good enough. Uh, that it, just because somebody does this does not make it right for everybody else. There's got to be a point where somebody says no. That's uh, that's not acceptable. There's got to be a point where, and if it was you know, Woodward and Bernstein in 1973, um, where, where's the version of that today? Right. Maybe there is a version of that yeah. somewhere that's yet to, to bubble up to the top. Maybe there's somebody that's going to be able to, to reveal what's going, you know, and, and convince people to, uh, see rationally and debate rationally and you know get us back to uh being civil people well it's hard to believe we've been on the phone for an hour now and you were so worried earlier today uh-huh. <laughs> time flies i was ready having to, fun i was ready to talk stories from the trenches of doing the news at wdad but that, we're, we're that going to we're going to do eventually well i'm going to have you back on because i've really enjoyed this because i like being able to hear someone else's perspective when it comes to the news media in 2019 because as you say a lot of people live in a bubble and this way it gets that information out there to the general public so chauncey i really appreciate you taking time and we do have to do this again real soon well thanks for having me and bill i i kept looking around myself looking behind me when i got this invitation from you saying what who me is there somebody else here <laughs> but uh no i, I i'm I really appreciate the opportunity to spend the time, and yeah, we'd uh, like to do that again and um, keep up the keep up the good fight. Well, thank you very much, and you have a great night. We'll talk to you next time. Take care, Bill. Uh-huh, you too. Bye-bye. John C. Ross, formerly of WDAD and now of the Indiana Gazette, and as you can tell, as you can hear the music coming very so slowly in the background, I think you can. Maybe you can't. There we go. <laughs> We'll get it right. Anyway, it's time to wrap up another program for this evening. Thank you very much for watching us on Fayette TV Channel 77. And also thank you for listening to us on WMCK.FM as we broadcast live from the Phil Giannetti Studios. High atop High Street in Brownsville, Pennsylvania. Everybody, you have a great one. I'll talk to you next time. Here online with yours truly, Bill Alexander.
Ready to launch a new career or not sure what to do after graduation? Rumpke is hiring for CDL driving trainees. We pay you to get your CDL license while working for us. Driver trainees receive $18 an hour, great benefits, and Rumpke will pay your CDL costs. Once you're a CDL driver, you can earn $1,000 to $1,300 a week and more than $10,000 in bonuses possible in your first year. Apply today and launch a lucrative career at Rumpke. Apply now at RumpkeCareers.com. Equal opportunity employer. Restrictions apply. If you've been a renter, you know it's stressful to find the perfect place. But Zillow Rentals make it easy. They have filters for pretty much everything, so you can find a rental that's big enough for entertaining your friends, but small enough they won't crash all weekend. Find your sweet spot on ZillowRentals.com. Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that... That's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton.